0: Still working our way through Romans chapter 12, the first couple of verses. I'll also be going later on in the message to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, But let's begin with Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. And uh, I'd like to read them to you before we begin. Paul's writing, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds, not just this morning, but every time we approach your word, every time we read, that we might see through your word all that you have for us, that you, the growth that you want in us, the desire to have us walk close to you would be stronger because of being in your word together. And this morning, as we do read these specific passages together and we discuss them and, 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 and learn together from them, Lord, we ask that you would guide us and direct us through your spirit to be strong in our faith and to be strong in our walk with you. Encourage us to seek your face constantly, Lord. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for the grace that you've poured out on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's call here to the believers, again, was, uh, is basically calling them to an act of worship, if you will. Uh, in, in response to God, what God has done, all the mercies that He has poured out, and again, I 'm going back through Romans chapter one through eight, and it explains so carefully and in detail all the things that man has done to fall short of the glory of God, and all the things that God has done to bring us back to him. And this is the picture of His mercies and his grace. And so Paul's saying, "Because of these, I call out to you, because of these things, present yourselves as a living sacrifice." Now, we've gone through all of these pictures of a living sacrifice, but just a reminder, that idea of living sacrifice, something that is alive, something that is, that's got a, a, a purpose above and beyond just going to the altar of God. But as a living sacrifice, God wants to take us and use us and, and, and glorify himself through us to accomplish his purposes here on earth. And so as a living sacrifice, what we're really saying is, Lord, I'm yours. All that I am, and at this moment too, all that I'm not. With the desire that all that isn't of you, you will be continue to change in me. And he says this in this next context, is the idea of being not conformed to the world, but transformed. And this idea of being transformed is is the idea of of, of, of metamorphosis being changed completely, in a sense, from the inside out. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And he says, very specifically, the the transforming of our mind. Why does our mind need transforming? Well, because from from birth, it exists in a uh, fallen body. And it has the tendencies, the desires, of the flesh of that fallen body. I want you to think about this, and and I think we've talked about it in here before, but just thinking of our children, how fast do we notice their independence and them wanting to have what they want when they want it? (laughs) I hear two hours. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do I hear one? No. Um, Yeah, from birth. And I've noticed uh, repeating again with uh, our third grandchild as we watch, you know, the point where uh, a few months ago she decided she didn't, you know, didn't like something, and she could arch her back and scream, you know, and that arching the back is a sense of of a built-in sense of what defiance of I want my way now. That is our natural desire. The thing is, is that we're to come into a pattern of life in Christ that puts others first. That is not natural. We don't think in terms of as we look at situations around us that, that, that to come in and, 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 you know, usher other people ahead of ourselves. We, we tend to be, have you, all you have to do is watch the news and see the condition of the world. And, and, and especially, and I think this one is the, the graphic picture for us today in our culture those those uh, stores, uh, the New Year's or or, or no Good that Good Friday. Uh, what do they call it? Black Friday. You know the the, the stores, you know, uh, wanting to get all their goodies. You know, and they can't decide when they can't even decide the day that is anymore because they keep opening earlier and earlier and earlier. Before long, we're going to be saying, and we're celebrating of the opening of the stores for Black Friday at Wednesday midnight. Uh, you know. Uh already it's Thursday at various times on Thanksgiving Day, even as early as 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock or 5 o'clock on Thanksgiving Day. But what you watch is the people crowding the doors and running into what? Get my stuff. Now, I've been to one because my grandkids talked me into it. And I obviously didn't belong there. I was i all I wanted to do was and, and I thought, you know well i'm going to be here anyway i'm going to pick up a thing of socks and a thing you know, and, and and I and and i I don't want to do anything else other than that, and I go to get in the line. This is target. the line has got they've got uh pylons with ribbons through it, you know up uh, stands with ribbons up through it goes clear back to the, the, the back department where the, the, the electronics are, and then around towards the other end of the store. We'd only been there 20 minutes. People with TVs and stereos and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Preach it, sister. Uh, and uh, you know, the but the, the picture was, was just And I have to tell you, God absolutely blessed me that day. Some old man came up, I think I've told this story to you before. Some old man came up to me, I didn't know, and he said, What you doing standing in line? (laughs) You know, and I'm thinking, because my kids are in the line too, you know, ahead of me, I might as well wait with them, you know. And he says, Over at the other counter, over by the door where you take your stuff back, they're selling this stuff too. You can get in line over there. Out the door. Uh, A bunch of people followed me, but I was the first in line. (laughs) I didn't tell anybody else in the line around me either, except my kids. But I made them wait behind me. I'm just sharing that because there's a natural tendency in all of us to want it now, to want what we want, get it first, to get mine, whatever. Our minds need to be transformed because we don't think and nor can we think without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And just as it was was put in uh, the reading this morning, so that, you know, when we... When we come into Christ, he puts the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in us. He indwells us. That's made clear in Scripture, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, folks, it is a it is a done deal. It is, it's concluded. You can never get any more of the Holy Spirit in you than on the day that you're saved. You are indwelled by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He owns you. He owns me. He owns us through the blood of Christ. And from that point on, he's there in the process of bringing our minds the way we think into conformance with the things of Christ, the things of God, the Word of God. That's what being transformed, your mind being transformed is all about. A different way of looking at the world. His eyes, his ears, his words, his touch, if you will. How many times have, uh, I, I, I recall um, teaching kids especially, you know, uh, you know, the, the little children's songs that include, and, and some uh, older songs too, but that, Uh, we are his hands, you know, when we reach out to someone, we are his hands, okay? Uh, You're the only Jesus someone might ever see. Phrases like this, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the transforming of our mind, the way we think, is becoming different than the world. We're no longer thinking the way the world thinks. We're beginning to think the way Christ thinks. That's this idea of transformed, renewed mind. Renovated, I think I shared last week, was the idea of this renewed, renovated, overhauled, when I mean, you've gone in and remodeled. Have, you ever, have <laughs> you ever remodeled any major project where you basically gut the whole house and everything is new? In a sense, that's this idea of, of, of transformed. Re- when, you, when somebody walked in it one day, they look at it, and they say, oh, how can anything good come out of this? And, and whether it's weeks or months later, they walk in and say, where's the house that was here? You know, it renovated, restored, oh, reconstructed, if you will, transformed, more than just conforming. And, and this was the emphasis last week. Conforming tends to be something we do from the outside. We can conform to just about anything for a moment. We're good at men-pleasing, people-pleasing. But this is coming from the inside. This is where the Holy Spirit is actually changing the way we think. He leads all of this uh, as the idea of having our minds renewed is the idea of bringing us to this point where we said, he says, now you can test and discern the will of God. And this is where I want to focus this morning. Test and discern the will of God. If, I, if, I, if I'm just looking at those words by themselves and just test and discern, I t- I can, if I told you just spontaneously, I just said, a, today I'm going to test and discern the will of God for you, that would sound pretty arrogant. But this word test and discern, and actually, it, we've got two words here to use, but it's really only one word in the, in the Greek. And as often as it happens, whether it's in any other language. When you take one language and put it into another, sometimes you can't find all of the words with one word, you know, word for word. You have to use more than one word. That's what's been done here. Test and discern are part of one word and the idea of test, it's used in metallurgy. When you're testing something, what are you doing? You're refining it. You're testing it, finding out the drosses and refining it, okay, and so you're examining it. You're, You're going over and over and over again. That's the, the idea of testing and and putting it into application, if you will, and saying, "Does now have I got?" No, it needs a little bit more. You know, it and and, and it goes on. Okay, so that idea of testing here and discerning is the idea of of uh, understanding to the point that that you can see it with understanding. So the idea is, is I'm going to come to I, I, this renewing of my mind is going to allow me to come to God in such a way that I can. Begin to understand his will. Notice how I qualified that. Discern his will here doesn't mean perfectly because of the the tie to testing. It's going to be something. Occasionally, I'm going to think this must be the will of God and what's going to happen? I'm going to take a step and I just went down. (laughs) I didn't go up. I'm going to take a step and, and realize, no, this isn't right. Even that is discerning the will of God. You see, it's it, it's there's a time where I wouldn't have bothered to, uh, even to, to to be concerned about the will of God, and and for that matter, take any step I wanted to take as long as it made me feel good. But that was the old mind. Now there's a concern in my heart, in the depths of who I am, about what it is that God wants me to do. And I want to be on target. I want to be on 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 uh, in in path, if you will. Uh, on the right path. This idea of God's will, by the way, is described here as something that is good, acceptable, and perfect. Not that it needs to be defined, but it is for us. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. In other words, as you begin to discern and understand God's will, it is a good, acceptable, perfect thing to do and, and, and to pursue his will. His will is right, in other words, good. His will is uh, acceptable, meaning it, it, you can lay it on his altar. It is perfect, meaning it, it doesn't miss the mark. It hits the target perfectly as far as what God wants. That's the goal. So the transforming of the, our mind has this purpose to, to draw us into a relationship and worship, but it's also to, to discern, to, to test, to, to wrestle with and to understand the will of God. And we're told over and over and over in Scripture to to seek out the will of God. Um, We're told in in Colossians chapter 1, be filled with the knowledge of his will. Be filled with the knowledge of his will, the understanding of his will. How does that happen? Transformed mind. Stand in his will, Colossians. We're told to stand in his will. That means to take a place and hold tight not be budged backwards or pushed away. To stand in His will. In Hebrews chapter thirteen, it says, "Equipped by the by, by uh, the God of peace, to do His will." So here we got a picture: we're to be filled with His will, we're to stand in His will, we're to do His will. First Peter uh, chapter four: called to live our lives according to His will. This is just a few of the scriptures, but I'm just saying over and over and over again. Scripture says something about His will and our walk. Where I'd like to focus this morning, in order to get a full picture for, from my perspective at least, uh, for this is, is going to Ephesians chapter five. And uh, Ephesians chapter five verses seventeen through twenty-one. Are the scriptures that I'll be reading. In fact, uh, did you have those for the screen or not? Okay. Uh, Even though it starts with 17, I'm going to actually start with 15, I think. No, I think, I know, I'm going to start with 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's saying here, as you come to the point of walking in Christ, he says, I want you to walk as a wise person walks. Now, first off, what makes the beginning of a wise person? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Okay. So it begins right there. I'm not going to have a fear of the Lord if the Holy Spirit is not working in me. I I can tell you that was not one of my concerns before I became a Christian. But as a Christian, there's been a developing awe of who God is. And not so much a fear at this point of of losing something, but uh, an awe of who God is and a fear of wonder, if you will, and amazement, enough so that to stand in his presence would cause me to tremble or possibly even fall on my face. And we see that over and over in Scripture as to people who are in awe of who God is. They come into his presence and they say, he's just too holy for me. He's, it's amazing for me. And they fall uh, and, and, and because they can see all of their sin so clearly at that point. John falls on his face. Isaiah says, oh, woe is me, I'm a dead man. To walk as a wise person is one who has got a reverent fear for God. And redeeming the time. I've never bothered thinking about redeeming the time other than saying, instead of doing this, I'll do that. And, and it's one of those things that just hits you may have hit you years ago, so give me patience here. I never really considered the idea of redeeming time. To redeem something is to buy it back for the right purpose to be used. In other words, God redeems us to put us to the purpose he created us for. OK? Time was created, if you will, to do what? Glorify God. That's, that's its purpose. That's what we're to use it for. But we use it for lots of other things than that. And so a person who lives in the fear and awe of who God is, a wise person walking as a wise person, I am going to see my time in a whole different transformed mind, a whole different way of looking at it. And I'm going to begin to see, oh, Not so much this is ugly, wicked, mean, vicious thing to do, but it keeps me from doing this. One of my favorite pre-BC, I call it, before Christ and me, my BC days, one of my favorite things to do, and I think I've shared this with you several times, autocross. That's like horse Jim Canna. You can tell when you live in a rural area, people start, oh, horse Gymkhana, I know what that is. OK, one 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 horse at a time running against the clock, competing with other horses doing the same course. Well, an auto Gymkhana is the same thing. One car at a time, running a course by itself against other cars. And even down to the point of cars according to their power, according to their uh, size and weight and stuff dis- distributed different ways, I had a TR3, little 1963 TR3, one of those little scoop door auto uh, British roadsters. Roll bar, you know, harness, yeah, so it'd be safe. Loved doing this. Expensive habit. And all of the finals always were when, do you think? Sunday. Start on Saturday, but the finals were Sunday. Even if you didn't make the finals, you wanted to see who did. Except when the Lotus Elan came in from Southern California. Little tiny fast car turns like this, so the outside wheel actually goes up on the turn. You know, not fair. But anyway, always guaranteed time of the day if you showed up. Uh, one season, And it wasn't a plan. I have to explain this to you. It wasn't like I started out with this, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. One season, my car never got off the blocks. I was busy with something at at, at church, and then I got more involved with this, and more involved with this, and more. It never got off for the whole season. And I didn't miss it. I'm not trying to make a big deal out of this. I'm just saying, God changed my priorities. It wasn't a bad thing to do. It's not a wrong thing. And it's not a wrong thing for Christians to do. But for me, it obsessed me to the point where I was driven by it. <laughs> bad pun. And, 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 and obsessed with it. And I ended up, it just went by the wayside, kind of quietly. Why? Again, because God is in the process of transforming the way. So that's a picture of redeeming the time. Redeeming, buying back the time for God. And he says because the days are evil. Now, in that context, he's saying there's everything out there in the day that wants to, 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 to distract you from this. Now, I wish I were better at this. So you had a success story. Now you have a struggle story. I didn't say failure. Um, I'm a TV addict. I've been watching TV since I was born. Somebody says, I didn't know it was that old. Some of the kids in here would say that. 1949, I was born, 1952, TV was on. So as long as I can remember, there was a television going to my grandfather and my aunt's and my uncle's home, and then we got our own. And my stepdad loved TV. Now, we lived in Southern California. While there's no such thing as cable, nobody had a clue as to what cable was. You had the antenna that you could actually crank like this and change the direction of it a little bit and pick up channels from all over Southern California and and the central, what's called Central Coast. So we had at least, you know, 9, 10, 11 channels. Well, Well, Kathy, just 30 miles away, lived one, sometimes two. So... Makes a big difference, just a little mountain range. Um, but anyway, TV going all the time until sign off. Sign off was normally around midnight. My dad would fall asleep in his easy chair, and then the sign off would go, the jets would fly over, and it's, if some of you don't even have a clue as to what that is either. They, they played the national anthem, and the jets fly over, and then and the Indian, the, the, the test screen goes on. And my dad would wake up, and, and any time before that, if you turned the TV off, even though he was sound asleep and snoring, he would wake up and say, I was watching that. Yeah. And, and, you, you know, and, and the end result was you know, that it went on. And then Channel 9, KHJ TV, <laughs> went virtually 24 hours. Had to sign off for, I think, 30 minutes. So it signed off like at 5 and went back on at 5.30. My dad, we didn't have money, but he went out and restored and finished and fixed up a car so he could sell it to buy a second television. So he could put it on the dresser in the bedroom so that when it went off in the front room at midnight or whenever he decided now to go to bed, he could turn it on there. My wall's just on the other side of that. And so I had TV going all the time. And I don't know what it is about TV and me, but it's like I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. I'm a newsaholic. I will watch the same news over and over and over, waiting for a little piece of information that is different than what was in the last half hour, or for that matter, since the morning. Now, I share all of that with you to say, it's not that it's it's out of control. But when you start to think about it and redeeming time, I had to confess it because I felt guilty about this this morning. You know, this is something that I don't do well. And I, but God is working on me compared to where I was when, when Kathy and I got married. <laughs> it's night and day. Especially since having become a Christian. There's a lot of things that, that I don't need anymore in the way of television. Kathy was used to going to sleep in absolute silence. I'm used to going to sleep with a drone in the back. Took us a while. She won. Redeeming the time, buying it back. Don't be foolish. Understand the will of God, what the will of God is, or what the will of the Lord is. And this picture of, of, of it's obvious what, what we're to grasp here, that Paul wants us to understand, to be able to discern, and be able to do and to know the will of God in our lives. Barnes puts it, have a disposition to obey him. The mind will be prepared to understand his precepts. In other words, the idea of, of the mind is changing. In other words, we're being put into, a instead of a disposition to seek ourselves and to seek after whatever it is that we normally do that waste time, the idea is it's going to change the way we think so that we'll start to want to pursue the things that redeem the time. It's, a, it's a, a changing the way we think. J.I. Packer put it this way. The Holy Spirit is given to all Christians to uh, transform them by his teaching. We read that in, in, in John 14 this morning. Making them into God uh, focused thinkers. I like that phrase. God focused thinkers. And equipping them to discern his will, making decisions accordingly. So, transformation, renewing of my mind, discerning the will of God, so I can make day-to-day decisions that reflect the will of God. Right thinking is good. Acceptable for for his altar. In other words, it's something that God's accepting and hitting the mark. It's perfect. This is what God wants of me. Okay, now what? Well, some people... Turn around and say, Okay, God, I I want to know your will. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being quiet and seeking the face of God and waiting to see if He talks to you and speaks to you, you know, or brings something to mind. It's not a thing, nothing wrong with science. But there's some people who never get past this point. They want to know the will of God. You know what I found out most of the time? It's not that they want to know. Did you realize there's two parts to, to, to the will of God in a sense of understanding it? And and it, it took me a while over the years to figure this out. One part is his sovereign will. Okay? That is it this is going to happen, period. And we and and and, and it's it's the, the way God has it worked out. Period. Okay? Now everything ultimately is going to plug into that in his sovereignty. However, within the framework of that. And by the way, it's largely unseen, meaning, with the exception of what prophets have told us, we normally catch it after the fact, looking back, and say, oh, I see how God's hand works in that now. You ever had that experience? Oh, now I see where God was going with that. Okay, And, and so you have the sovereign will, but you also have what is called his perceptive, or, or, or his will that's written out in precepts, which is his word. And while his word will ultimately, this will will ultimately conform to his sovereign will too. Somehow in the midst of that, he gives me the choice to either agree with or disagree with that and to pursue or to not pursue. And he knows how it's going to go, but the bottom line is it's my responsibility to make the choice. That's why I need a transformed mind. And so this area of knowing his will here isn't so much to know the sovereign will, how you know uh, things are going to happen six weeks from now, six months from now, six years from now. I know how it happens in the very end, because I read the end of the book. Read Revelation, it'll tell you. But in the meantime, I'm sitting here, I say, oh, who should I? Well, I already know who I should marry. <laughs> uh, you know... <laughs> where should i go to school did that too uh, you know all of the things that go with though he said what should how, i i want to know you know ahead i want to know ahead i want to know ahead that's not what's being talked about here knowing the will of god what's been talked about here is knowing the will of god meaning his precepts the things that he has do you have to pray about stealing well actually that's <laughs> I, I realize that, all, that, they're, that they're, there's people that struggle with that. I, what I'm saying is is that as, as a thing, should I or should I not? Is this an OK thing to do or not an OK thing to do? We don't have to pray about that. We know from his word that stealing is wrong. OK? To covet, adultery. There are certain things that we know are wrong. We don't have to go around. And, and, and you, know, with a, you know, because God has already put into our heart these things. By the way, those things weren't so rig- rigorously formed in my mind before I was a Christian. But as a Christian, it started applying to all sorts of things. I can steal time from my work. It's possible. Use my work time for something other than work. Yeah, I mean, there's, so we start to see different levels of application the longer we walk with the Lord. That may not have been someplace you saw it originally, but, you know, uh, my, my, my uh, working out a contract with uh, unions and, and uh, where I worked in, 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 in uh, San Francisco. When you figure out how much you're going to pay somebody as an offer, you compute from the business side, because I was in the management side, you compute all the things that employment costs you. So you you include Social Security, you include insurance, you include all these things that cost you, and then you break it down to an hourly rate, and you say, this is what we'll pay. So when, when somebody's getting $20 an hour, they actually may be getting $28 an hour or $27 an hour or $30 an hour when you figure all of the other things at the employer side of what has to be paid. Do You know one of the things they also include in that on major uh, contracts as far as factories and and large corporations and stuff like that? Shrinkage. That's stuff that's taken out the back door that's not paid for by the employees. Better known as stealing, but you know. uh, And so uh, that's computed. I can't remember what it was back then, but because of the cost of titanium, there, and it was going out in guys' lunch pails and stuff, uh, in paint as part of paint manufacturing. They figured, I think it's something like $1.19 an hour. Uh, you know, computed this to part of the of the cost of doing, you know, paint. And so, all of that's computed in there. What happens? Your brain thinks, I know this. I'm an employee. That's part of my wages. So taking a dollar worth is not a stealing anymore. See, that's the way we conform to the world. That's a conforming to the world picture. But transform says, even though I technically am paying for that, it's not right, and I don't. And I start to think differently. Does, I, I'm trying to bring all these different examples in so that you can grasp what what's it, what being talked about is is not the the knowing all of the big questions, but really focusing on the day-to-day things that that just simply become part of our spontaneous reaction to things, how we think day-to-day, moment-by-moment. That's what needs to be transformed. We spend a lot of time wanting to know the big picture, and we ignore the little picture, if you will, in a sense, the obvious thing that we can do. Know the precepts of God. And as you study and learn the precepts, it builds. Isaiah puts it, precept on precept. Some of you are familiar with Precepts ministries. That's their motto, okay? So, somewhere here in my notes, Paul tells us we are to seek, to know, to live out the, world, the, the, the will of God. And then he gives us an example here in Ephesians. This picture of don't be drunk with wine. It's another one of those things that's hard to to translate literally, but I'm going to do the best that I can from the the men that have gone ahead of me who really understand the language. Don't Don't indulge in the excessive living of drunkenness. Don't indulge in the excessive living of drunkenness. With wine, as an example. In other words, it's not so much that the drunkenness lives to the debauchery or excessive living. It's the idea of excessive living lead, can, leads to drunkenness. And you, by the way, you can be drunk with a lot of things. You can be filled with things other than the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with, with, with grief for a season but the holy spirit comes in and 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 works through you and and brings that to a sense of peace does you never stop grieving for someone you love but it brings it to a point where you are able to embrace it deal with it you can be filled with bitterness you can be filled with greed There's all sorts of things that you can be filled with. You can be filled with wine. This idea of of drunkenness here, though, is, is, I think, more than just the wine. Wine is just an example of the drunkenness here. You can be drunk with greed. You can be, see what I'm trying to get at. There's a bigger picture here. But remember, we want to walk wise. We want to redeem the time, so instead of, being drunk with wine or or filled with wine. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this this is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What did I say in the beginning of this? You can't get more Holy Spirit than came in at the beginning. We all have the same. There is no one with more Holy Spirit in this room than someone else then how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Understand that it's, a, it's more of a qualitative thing than quantity. It's not like a pitcher filling you up over and over and over again. It's the surrender of yourself and allowing it to in, in, engulf you, if you will, as a sense of your thinking and your mind and your heart. I guess you could put it, instead of you know, putting it this way, uh, you, you, you don't have more Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has more you. He has more of you. If we choose this path, then the idea is is choosing God's way of doing things, transform mind, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? It's a process of putting yourself in the Word of God. That's the source that does it. He wouldn't be talking about precepts and other things all the way through here, over and over and over again, the things of the word of God, keep my commandments, and all these different things, if it wasn't the case. It's being in the word of God, allowing the word of God to minister to you through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, teaching you, directing you, bringing understanding. And I will tell you that sometimes you will only get a little tiny bit, just a little bit of understanding. When you read huge blocks of passage, and then I walk away with just little bits of understanding. But as that comes into here, works part of the transformation, and begins to change things, you'll be surprised. Another time you'll come to the same passage, read it through, and say, oh my gosh, now I get it. That little bit went to big. Or, oh, my goodness, remember Mr. Young? Oh, my goodness, this goes with that. He got so excited. He would say, oh, 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 this goes with that. This goes with that. And my notes went on the floor. And, uh, and, and he would just get overwhelmed at how the word of God would come together for him. After going over and over again and again, testing it and re- reading it over and over again. He discerned a little bit more, and it changed the way he thought about things. Enough so that in Mr. Yong's case, he decided he needed to be an evangelist for his family, who'd moved to California from South Korea and were all Buddhists. Saved up for several years, took his vacation time, which he was a teacher. Every teacher got a six-week vacation sometime in their continuous school year. It rotated. And uh, he took that six weeks out of his own pocket and came to the United States, started in Seattle, went down to LA looking for his relatives so he could share Jesus Christ with him because he'd become a Christian. Arlene, how many times have you read the Bible? We were all raising our hands as he shared this in a Bible study. How many times have you read the Bible, with different people raising their hands? How many one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times? A few people like Arlene still got their hand up, you know. And then he says, oh, that's so nice. How many times are you going to read it next year? <laughs> So, it changes the way we think. By the way, does this tie in with anything? Boy, I'm going a long time here. Does this, does this tie into anything that you're familiar with? It's Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, the world. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in The law of the Lord, the precepts of God, his word. And on these things, he meditates day and night. And as a result, he's planted in God's, I call it God's field, because the word planted is literally transplanted by streams, which means streams that are, are made to furnish the water for this planting, by streams of water. And as a result, he doesn't wither, he doesn't grow tired, and he produces the fruit that he was designed to produce, and it's time he accomplishes the purpose that he was created for. That's what Psalm one, verses one through three, talk about. Guy by the name of James Petty written a book, Step by Step, uh, <laughs> Divine Guidance for the the Ordinary Christian. <laughs> I could I can understand it. Um, the Spirit, these were four things that he came to conclusion with in the reference to all of this. The Spirit illuminates the connection between God's Word and our lives. And the more we read it, the more we see that connection. He does this by personalizing and particularizing, applying the will of God for us. In other words, oh, can you see this in your life? It doesn't match this. Holy Spirit pointed it out to us. The result of the Spirit's work is not so much a message from God, as it is a provision of discernment and wisdom gained or granted for specific situations and progressively built into Christians as a character trait. In other words, the more we practice it, the more it becomes a part of who we are. Though it is wisdom from God, it also becomes our wisdom. From God's perspective, it is a direct gift, supernaturally given by the Spirit. From our perspective, it is our renewed mind enabled by God to see as Christ sees. It is our wisdom, yet it is God's. It is Christ's mind, yet it is given to us as ours. Scripture says, sees it both ways, and so should we. I kind of like that as a kind of a conclusion to that whole picture here. Jesus, by the way, he even had battles in reference to the will. Somebody says, no, not Jesus. Well, he had a perfect record, yes, because of God in the flesh. But it says he was tempted. There is no temptation unless there's the ability in the mind to conceive of doing it other than. Does that make sense? Jesus was tempted in all ways, we're told. Wasn't anything missing in his temptation that would put him in a point where he could sympathize, empathize, sympathize with us as a high priest interceding on our behalf. And the place where that is seen the clearest is something that actually brings us to communion the Garden of Gethsemane. How many times did he petition God about the cup that he was about to drink? Three times. And each time he concluded with a statement, not my will, but your will. That's the mind that he wants to create in us. Even though we see the temptation, even though it's there, See, the temptations didn't go away. We perceive them now and we say, not my will, God, but yours. And because of his submissive will to the Father's perfect plan, we get to come today to this table and share in the grace that God has poured out on us. To share in the remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Jesus had a per- his perfect, what I said, good, perfect, good, and acceptable response. You know, not my will, but your will. It's what I want in my life. And not for my salvation. I've already got that. But for my closeness, my, my ability to draw close to Christ, to walk close to Christ, to draw from him, And find new strength daily to face the things and the tragedies and the situations that go on in our world, as well as to beat out the temptations that the the evil day will throw at us and know that I've rested in his grace in such a way that I've had victory. Is this visible, by the way? Is God's Holy Spirit working in us visible? Must be. Acts chapter 3, or 6, chapter verse 3. Uh, the people were told, give us uh, seven men who are uh, obviously filled with the Holy Spirit. If if it was a possibility to have believers that that were filled with the Holy Spirit to be singled out, it must be possible that even though people are saved, they haven't become, quote-unquote, that idea of walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, living a new life in the sense of transformed mind yet. But they picked out seven. By the way, it's very interesting what at least two of those seven did. Philip and, and, and Stephen, they went out and proclaimed the word of God. They, they, it, it comes to overflowing. And uh, I thought about that in the way it comes out, and, and, and I wrote on the side of a paper. As you study the word of God, it begins to be something that comes flowing out of you. And the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you act, It becomes something that becomes the the way you think and do things. It becomes something that sets you apart from the way the world is. It's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen the same way for every person. There are some things that need to be removed out of my life before God can get to something that he's already done in your life and vice versa. But one of the neat pictures that I I want to conclude with is is this in in the the picture of of Ephesians. Ephesians. He says, uh, one of the results, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything, God, to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another, that's putting others ahead of yourself, even if it costs you something. And not because you want any notoriety for it, but just because it was the right thing to do at that moment and point in time. You would have never thought about it that way if it weren't for the blood of Christ working through you, the Holy Spirit working in you, transforming your mind. But it's the way we, our thinking just starts to change. And I thought, this is the way we're supposed to be until he comes. And then I said, no, until he comes and then forever. It will always be flowing out from that point on. Ask the ushers to come forward to pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
1: Jesus, draw me close, closer. the world.
0: process of transforming us, renewing our minds, that's exactly what we're asking Jesus to do, to draw us close that we might worship and obey, to know his will on a day-to-day basis, moment by moment, for the things around us. And uh, it's not normally, like I said, the way we go looking for it. It's not the way we seek after it. And uh, very clearly, though, all that Jesus did was to bring this ability to us. All that he performed in the sense of, of, of his sacrifice was to bring this to us so that it could happen. As he said even in, in John 14, he says, I'm going away, but I'm not abandoning you. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit to indwell you so that you can continue your walk with me. You know, you think you've got a picture, but there's so much more for you to, to see. And you'll see it because of the Holy Spirit I give you. It'll bring things to mind and explain things. And that's why, like I said, as you, as you picture certain things and you come from this, you're going to look at this and say, oh, this goes with that. Or at some point, you're going to read the word and say, oh, now I get it. I know why such and such happened or why this happened. It's clearer now. And ultimately, the battle that Jesus fought in the garden. And I'm, I'm convinced that it was a battle in the sense of, of pain and suffering. My will, but thy will be done. Just prior to that time, he had shared at the Last Supper with his disciples the bread he had broken and given thanks and and, and, and and passed it out to them to eat. And he explained to them, he said, this is my body, broken for you. And it wasn't literally his body, but to be the symbol and the picture of his body. He says, as often as you, as you break this bread and eat it together, under these circumstances think of me remember me and so we do taking the cup he's a simple picture he said this is my blood that is poured out for you and he asked us as often as we would share this cup and eat this bread that we do it in remembrance of him until he comes again to share it with us, marriage feast, the end of time where we join him eternally. And at that point in time, I need to share this picture because of what he has done. No longer will any temptation be there. All that will be there is his peace and his perfect will, acceptable, totally, perfectly good in every way for eternity and we will be a part of it. Let's share the cup together. Father, we thank you so much that we can come this morning to worship you, to say thank you, to Lord, know that 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 you so love us that you not only reveal yourself in nature, but you re- revealed yourself in such a way that we can read and see and handle your word, to know you, to come close to you, to understand you, to grow in you. And we ask, Lord, that you would put that hunger and thirst in us. Stronger day by day, that we would start thinking of how we might redeem time for you in the sense of your glory, your purpose in our lives. We worship you, we thank you for the grace you've lavished out. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand as we close.